Goody will drive. Left-handed flush over the top of Kepnig and the foul. 15 to shoot. Pull back, step back three. Bottom! Trey Woodbury! Humphrey, Humphrey to the goal to win it for the Mavericks. It's short. Tip back in. Weaver got it. Yes! Jones for the tie. Oh, oh he's fouled! And one! Are you kidding me? It's knocked away. Still loose. Doherty the heave. Oh, oh my God! It's good! There's no possible deflections for Southern Utah. Wow. Harrison with another three. Southern Utah is going to do something they've never done before. Go to the NCAA tournament. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's another episode of the Straight Out of Whack podcast. Daryl and I finally getting together after some time off here uh, over the last over the spring slash summer. Uh, it's pretty hot where we're at. It's pretty hot where our, our guest that we're going to bring in in just a minute is at. Um, so let's just get rolling with it. Uh, as you know, we, we released the conference USA whack Alliance matchups and dates for the men's side. Uh, yesterday it's on whackoopsdigest.com. You can check those out. Daryl and Chelsea put out a preseason player of the year list on the women's side that you can also check out. And then today we put out our men's preseason player of the year candidates in, in order. It's really a two-man show right now if we're going if we're going to be honest about it so you can read about that wackhoopsdigest.com uh but daryl we're going to bring in our our, our guest associate commissioner drew Spera. he's over the basketball he's the administrator over the basketball in, in the western athletic conference drew uh are you staying cool in those 100 plus temperatures with 100 plus or 100 percent humidity you know we're we're making it we're making it down here. You know, obviously our our conference is 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 very vast in the geography, and our office is in Arlington, Texas. So, uh, yeah, we're we've been in the hundreds all week. So we're uh, the AC is is definitely been working hard for us, and uh, and but we're we're surviving. We're surviving. Awesome, awesome. It's it's been a pretty. I guess we'll start with the off season. How busy is it for you? From the end of, I guess we want to say April, maybe when the NCAA tournament ends. Now we're getting in July. Conference schedules were released yesterday. Uh, how busy is it for you throughout the off season? Sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, it actually kind of really attributes to my background in, in working on a staff and in basketball operations. Is you're always kind of working a season ahead, um, and so you know while the season's going on, you're focused on you know, whatever the next thing ahead of you is, you know, kind of in this role, um, you, you know, basketball, obviously the tournament takes up a ton of our focus. And then once that's done, you know, we start working towards our spring meetings and we're figuring out conference schedule and what that looks like and what, what different things are policies that need to be adjusted, changed, uh, amended for the next year. Um, and now we've got the conference schedule rolled out. And so really starting to focus now on, um, the logistics of all those games uh, for the season. You know, I'm, I'm working in October, November, December right now for probably the next month or so. And then once that, you know, once that kind of is done, you know, all of our focus will probably shift towards the tournament and, and what that looks like. And then, you know, it's it starts to, you know, circle around. I, I wouldn't say that everything is off your plate at one time, but there are definitely different seasons that you focus on, um, you know, a little bit heavier of what's going on. And obviously right now, uh, we, we spend a lot of time 
the last month or two or three, actually just trying to make sure the conference schedule um, can be put together and it's proper. Everything is good. Um, have that have had that done for a little bit, obviously, just getting it out this week. Um, and then now it's, it's really trying to focus on, um, you know, logistics of making sure, you know, officials and all those other little nuances of the job are kind of taking care of, um, you know, any kind of policy changes in our code book, et cetera. So uh, basketball, you know, it, it is the only thing that I do. So it's it, it does def- definitely takes up enough time throughout the year, but it, it does get a little bit, you know, lighter um, on this side of things as opposed to a coaching staff uh, in basketball season. So. Was it a little bit easier to, I guess, was it a little bit easy? I don't know if easier is the right word. Putting together a schedule, a conference schedule, when you know that everybody's going to play everybody twice, is that a little bit easier than what it was last year where you had to decide who was going to play somebody twice and who was only going to play somebody once? Yeah, the, the process is, is surely different. You know, you cut out a step last year. You, you know, we uh, the first step was trying to figure out who those teams you were going to play twice were um, and trying to figure out how to best do that. Um, how can we accomplish it, um, you know, between genders, all those different types of things. And so this year, without having to do that, we cut a step and go right into the sequencing of when those games can happen. Um, trying to figure out the best way to accomplish that. Um, and so it, it does cut out a step for sure. Uh, but, you know, there's other things that we tried to accomplish with this schedule that were different than last year. Um, you know, really tried to stick to days of the week that were uh, kind of uniform across the board. If you noticed, um, you know, every game is on Thursday, Saturday, pretty much after Christmas. The early season games in Christmas are Wednesday, Saturday. Um, because every team had a home and an away matchup and they and we felt it was easy to allow that day for travel. Um, and, and then in this in the post Christmas part of the season, the January, February, March period, you know, all of those games are Thursday, Saturday, uh, except for one um, women's game on a Wednesday, which was due to a facility conflict. And so really trying to focus on, you know, equalizing that rest among uh, between teams, um, providing you know, the same sort of recovery and, and preparation time um, was something that that was, you know, we talked a great deal about after last year's schedule. Um, and another thing, you know, we really tried to, um, you know, focus on and, and, and the ability for us to do that kind of hinged on the fact that the the schedule is mirrored. And, uh, you know, they're every if your men are at home, your women are on the road. And that was also able to be accomplished because we are at a 20 game double round robin. And you're not having those situations where your men and women aren't playing are playing different schedules, um, you know, because it's everybody's home and away. We just looked at it as the fact is if your men are at home, your women are on the road, you're playing the exact same opponents um, and, and, you know, exact same teams just at different locations, which which caused us to not have those midweek conflicts uh, and, and, you know, push games to Wednesday to avoid doubleheaders. That. So that's something that was brought up to Daryl and I today. Someone asked about it, about that. Maybe the <clears throat> some people are in favor of the double headers, you know, where men and women play in the same time at, or the same day in the same place. Did you get some feedback on that? Or was that just, a, you know, I, I don't know. Some people are in favor of it, Some people aren't. I was just curious, you know, if you like that or if you'd rather have it where women are playing at one place and the men are playing at the, you know, the other place on a, on a given day. 
Yeah, you know, the doubleheader piece is is not one that uh, I, I don't know, feel super strongly on it one way or another, quite honestly. Um, obviously, you know, we're executing the plan that was put forth from our, our presidents and ADs. Um, and, and so I know that, to your point, some people really did enjoy having the Saturday doubleheaders. The Saturday doubleheaders were allowed last year. The midweek doubleheaders were not allowed, um, which kind of caused a little bit of that, that uh, friction in that schedule where – um, if there was two games that ended up on, we're supposed to be playing on Thursday, one had to go to Wednesday, which then in turn kind of caused a trickle down in, in a sense where um, you, your Saturday opponent could be playing on Wednesday and you're playing on Thursday. So they're getting an extra day of rest and you're not. It created some rest inequities in the schedule. And it was determined that it was more important to create some rest equity for competitive balance than it was to cater to, uh, to double headers necessarily. And so um, that was kind of the mo- the method there. I, I, you know, I've heard from coaches that some like them, some don't. I've heard from administrations, some like them, some don't. Um, so, that, I mean, that's kind of where it lies on it. At, at the end of the day, uh, this, this is what was deemed as, as making it as competitive as possible um, every night out. Sure. One, one question. Sorry, Daryl. I got one more question for Drew real quick. Uh, and maybe Daryl was going to ask this too, but, Another question I've gotten, the start of WAC play, uh, I believe there's a couple of teams that play on November 29th, yep. and then other teams that play start on December 2nd and December 4th, I believe. And then they have that basically the month of December off until they reg- – well, I mean, non-commerce play, but they don't play another WAC game until January. So the thought behind that, was, this, was that just kind of a logistics thing because you're playing 20 conference games this year where you had to fit them in, or was that – I guess the thought behind that, because we know some conferences start really early as well. So I was just wondering yeah. your thought on that. You know, this was a year where actually this is one of the longest calendar basketball seasons that we have. Um, but even still, um, trying to play 20 games in a in a league that has an odd number of teams um, requires 22 windows to play. And so in order for us to accomplish that all post-Christmas, you know, we re- we had to start the conference play. I think it's like December 28th. Or something like that. And so the conversation uh, kind of became, hey, do you want to start on the 28th, which a lot of coaches generally like, you know, they get their kids back on the 26th. They would try to practice 27th, 28th, play 29th, 29th, 29th or 30th. Um, and, and it was kind of deemed like it was let, let's do it this method and play in early December uh, or late, late November, early December and play that first two games there so that we can uh, have a little bit more time post Christmas. Um, to get our guys back, get our kids back, or, you know, practice, get their feet under them before they enter into a gauntlet of of conference matchups. And so um, that was kind of the thought process there. There are quite a few leagues, to your point, that are running earlier conference games. I've spoke to a few other, especially mid-majors, that are going to either 20 games or um, something of that fashion, and they're playing those games earlier. I, I believe the Pac-12 has won the ACC um, the Big Ten is another that that play early in that that period. And, and some folks like them. Um, another positive is it provides two contests. Um, everybody's getting one home conference contest with students on campus in the early part of your, of your season. Whereas if you stick that game on December 28th, um, you know, your students are gone. Your fan bases are, uh, you know, on vacation. A lot of times your crowds can be depleted a little bit because of that. And so um, you, you know, it was another way to look at it was this this could provide an opportunity to, you know, have a better crowd, highlight the beginning of, of conference play earlier 
um, and then allow them to get back in your non-conference games, uh, finals weeks, Christmas breaks, et cetera, um, before we get kicked back up after the new year. Yeah, um, I like that piece of the schedule, Drew, that we're starting at the tail end of November because I was a high school scorekeeper for 10 years before moving over to the media side. And in our league, we were a seven-team league, so you were having to fit 14 games in. And that's how we had to do it. We would have to play two the first week, or actually four before Christmas, and the other 10 after the break. And as the coaches, we enjoyed that immensely. Um, But going into the WAC, you guys did hire a new – men's basketball coordinator of officials in John Higgins, a veteran of many Final Fours, um, replacing Bobby Diebler. Talk about what John will bring to the table in terms of improving the men's basketball side of the officiating department. Yeah, absolutely. John, um, obviously, is well-known in in officiating circles. Um, He's been widely regarded as one of the top officials in the game over the past, you know, 10 to 20 years. Um, Obviously, many Final Fours works heavily in, in a great deal of of high major conferences, you know, even worked the, the, the final four this year. And so you're talking about somebody who's highly respected at the top of the game um, and, and, and was very in, interested in our opening position. And, and while we were going through candidates, really set himself apart as somebody who had recognized, um, you know, some needs of our Western Basketball Officiating Consortium, um, some ways to improve it, some ways to do things a little bit different. Um, but I think he's going to bring something a little bit more nationwide to what we're doing. Um, he's, he's got a great deal of connections. Uh, you know, he worked primarily, I would say in the big 12. Uh, and so he's got a lot of Midwest into the East connections as well. And, you know, so far it's been, it's been good working with him. It's a change of pace for sure. Replacing somebody like Bobby, who's been doing it for so long is going to be difficult because Bobby knew everybody. He had everything going, you know, he, he understands the roster. Um, he understand who was being hired and how everything was operating. And this is John's first crack at being a coordinator. And, it, and as many people would think it's just easy as cake, just walking in, it's really not. There's a lot of nuance to it. Um, you know, he's, he's assigning officials for six conferences and trying to figure out um, who can we place here? How can we have a balance in our crews? Um, how can we make sure that we have a, a crew chief um, who's strong um, on each game, I think is something that he's really focused on trying to bring to the table. Um, and, and then really just trying to evaluate this roster. And then if you follow officiating in the country at all, you really can hear and see that there's, there's going to be a national problem in officiating, uh, in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Um, there's just, uh, the, the people in the pipeline, the number of folks that are, are interested in doing it are dwindling. Um, youth sports has made it extremely difficult on officials and people are getting out of it because of the way that fans and parents, et cetera, are interacting with, with them in that age group. Um, and so as, as this age of officials kind of, I would say, ages out, um, we have to get younger and we have to find new people. We have to bring them up. And so I think John will bring in, um, number one, a, a, a group of, of officials that are highly regarded, um, that are not used to working the Western region, uh, but will come over here because of the respect for John and what he'll do. Um, I also think that he'll do a a job over the next, I would say, year or two or three of um, evaluating the roster we have currently and determining um, which officials, you know, have what it takes to to continue to progress, um, which officials maybe have been 
and have been doing it a long time and haven't moved very far. And, and maybe it's time to, to get younger and phase them out. Um, and then I also think he'll do a good job of recruiting young officials to come into our league uh, and, and really try to grow them. And, you know, he's put forward some good plans so far, at least, you know, in the conversations we've had. Um, I was out at camp. They had camp uh, at the end of June in Phoenix and our, our consortium folks were all out there and he was evaluating a great deal. He's bringing in new um, highly respected people into some of the leadership, um, our, our consortium leadership folks. Uh, so I think he's going to be some changeover. I think we'll see some faces that you've never seen before. I think we'll see some newer, younger faces. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, um, we'll, we'll be known as uh, a region that's producing um, high quality officials that are working final fours and region NCAA regionals, et cetera, because uh, at the end of the day, that kind of is how they judge themselves in that, in that world. And so, so far, I think it's going to be a change number one. Um, but excited to see how it works out. I, I umpire slow pitch softball with adults. So I understand the whole uh, officials not wanting to get into it. I mean, it's crazy what goes on in that world. So that makes a lot of sense. That's a big challenge for, you know, John Higgins and other administrators and, and so forth. Um, I want to, I want to ask you one question about that with regard to officiating, like how difficult is it for, and maybe this is just your opinion, but like officials that have to do, you said, you know, there's six different conferences that they do different basketballs played in each one of those conferences. I mean, that that's something else that he's going to have to deal with too, right? That these guys are the whack, maybe a lot more physical than the, the West coast conference or, you know, and so forth. Like it feels like that's a challenge night in and night out for these guys that, that officiate different leagues. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, you know, there's there's long been a sentiment that you know officials in different leagues rep it you know officiate differently correct you know I, I was in the big 10 for you know a couple of years in the big 12 for t for 10 years um you get really used to how the big 12 guys call it and it's different than sometimes with the big 10 guys now i will say that kind of happens a little bit when you have different you know pockets of officials that only work certain areas right i think that what john is trying to do is bring in guys you know all those officials they're in, you know independent contractors and so, you know, he's he's taking guys that potentially are working Big 12, Missouri Valley, CUSA, American, whatever that is. They're working those games. They're working our games, et cetera. Um, so hopefully that helps to blend a little bit and, and crossover. But I mean, to your point, I, I would say out of the Western, you know, uh, officiating consortium group, our league probably is one of the tougher ones to officiate because we do have very drastic styles of play. And, you know, our Texas institutions play the game differently than the schools out West do. And uh, I think that when, when guys come down and, and officiate some of our games, it is different than what they're used to seeing. And so I think that, you know, it's a conversation that I'll for sure have with John about, you know, Hey, we got to understand, you know, every night, if you're sending a guy that's working all these big West games or the big sky games or whatever, and they're going to show up at, um, you know, ACU or Tarleton or SFA uh, those guys are playing a different style of basketball and, and not that it's wrong, right. and different, you know, but they have to be prepared for a different, a different type of game. Um, and so it, it's a conversation that you have, but at the end of the day, you know, John's getting directives from Chris Rastatter, who's, you know, the head of officials and Chris has worked with John for years. They, I mean, they both were in the big 12 when I was there. Um, and Chris was a Western, you know, basketball, uh, consortium guy. And so, 
you know, those guys, it's all trickle down. They have, you know, calls weekly from, from the NCAA coordinator and what they're supposed to emphasize and what they're not. Um, you know, it's just which teams push the envelope and how do you handle it? And every game gets, gets officiated a little bit differently because of that. Um, you know, I was attributed to when I was in the big 12 playing West Virginia was different than playing, um, you know, TCU. It's just the games were different because of what you're going to go into out there. Um, and, and I was at K State, and we played we played a style of basketball that was, well, quite frankly, probably hard to officiate as well. So we'll see how he does. But uh, um, you know, I, I think that I think it's a conversation, and, some, and it'll be something I hope you're prepared for because of the styles that he's seen. Drew, um, you're one of the rack the whack resume seating system. Definitely had its challenges for you guys, especially on the men's side. Um, were there any surprises, and then were there any adjustments to the uh, formula used in calculating those seedings for 23-24? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that after year one, um, you know, looking back and reviewing, obviously, you know, did some things that, you know, a lot of folks are, are looking and scratching their head about. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I would say it performed in its way it was expected to. Um, it, you know, it put the team that had the best resume uh, for each gender at the top of that list. Um, and obviously those teams didn't win an outright conference championships, but, you know, we have every assurance and every, you know, every conversation that I've had with the NCAA tournament committees, you know, if they were to rank our teams in that manner, that's how they would have been ranked. And so, you know, the NCAA tournament selection committees were very bullish on, on the concept, you know, when every time we're in a room with the guys that were making those decisions, they're high on it and, and wanting to know more and how it was determined and this and that. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Sam Houston, obviously, in the men, um, you know, probably does have the best resume overall, although I, I, you can make an argument right there that Utah Valley um, was, was just as good a resume as theirs, um, barring probably one loss. And so, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes that's the difference in that room um, when they're making those decisions. And it's that close determining between 12 seeds and 13 seeds. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that sometimes that's how it goes. But at the end of the day, I think that we had two. It tells me two, a couple of things. We had two really, really strong teams in men's basketball that both would have had opportunities to be highly seeded in the NCAA tournament. Um, but we still play a conference championship. And we were only talking about seeds, just like the NCAA tournament. You know, the one seeds didn't win the NCAA tournament in, in this year either. And, and the one seed and the two seed didn't win the WAC tournament. Um, so we go there and the team that, that has the best week has an opportunity to win. Um, and they did. And so, you know, hats off to Grand Canyon. Obviously, they had a, a good season as well. Probably not exactly what they were expecting, but, you know, get the win. And then, you know, on the women's side, you know, SFA was, you know, head shoulders probably, you know, as far as seeding goes. Obviously, they were probably a 12 seed. Um, you know, their net was 80 points higher or whatever it was than, than Southern Utah. And Southern Utah had a great year in conference. And at the end of the day, same thing. You know, they they went out and showed that they were the best team at that tournament and they were the best team in our league overall. And they got the, they got an opportunity to, to go to the NCAA tournament. So again, congrats to both of them, uh, you know, on those things. And so, yeah, we adjusted and we, or we didn't adjust, but we looked at it heavily on, on how can we do that, um, you know, or, or make it better. Um, and, and kind of what we determined was it, it kind of did it, what it was accomplished. You know, we accomplished what we were trying to, to do. And so, um, it's going to stay the same. Um, we had some conversations on on doing adjustments, but we at the ultimately decided that, um, you know, our administrative group decided that it was best to let it go as it was. Um, so we'll see the same sort of formula coming this year 
um, as it was last year. That means, folks, and, and just so we're clear, don't lose the games that you're not supposed to lose, especially at home, because you'll get hit hard. We saw that with SFA. I think CBU had one last year, too, with Cal Poly. Don't lose those games. And the difference between Utah Valley being the one seed and Sam Houston being the one seed was Utah Valley going to the, uh, I believe it was to Jamaica, and losing to Morgan State in, in their first game down there, or else they would have been the one seed. That's how bad a loss against a lesser opponent or a lower net ranking opponent hurts you. So don't lose the games that you're supposed to win, period. That, that, like, that's the end of the story. And I know people are mad about that, but it's like that's 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 the, that's the issue right there. Yeah, and and the other thing too is is both of those institutions, uh, you know, Utah Valley played three non-division one teams, and Sam Houston played four, and and those are throwaways; they do not count. And so, you know, at the time, if Utah Valley, even with a Morgan State loss, if they would have just played one other not division one team and won. Um, they would have been ahead of them and, and vice versa for Sam Houston. If they would have played, you know, a full slate of division one games, it wouldn't even been as close as it was. And so however you want to shake it, um, it's providing opportunity for each team to kind of determine their destiny and the road a little bit, um, you know, take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, now you're, you're talking, you got 20 games coming from your league. So two thirds of your, of your value is coming from what you do in the conference. Yep. Um, can you make a difference in your non-conference? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you, if you choose to play and beat quality teams or take care of your business, it's going to make a difference. And at the end of the day, the NCAA tournament recognizes those games at the same rate as they do any kind of conference game that we can put out there. I think you showed it to me before the WAC championship last year, that teams that were like right there for a possible at large berth, the team that didn't play non D ones that had no non D ones on their schedule, even if they were like similar records and stuff like that, that team that didn't play a non-D1 probably would have got the nod over the teams that did play non-D1s. That's how important it is to not get non-D1s on the schedule, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we've addressed, you know, with with our coaches, you know, our group is is I don't think we've had any shyness in saying, you know, we're we're here promoting trying to find non-conference opportunities. Division one games in particular, you know, we were at the forefront of wildcard week and wish that would have happened. Obviously, you know, we felt it was important to still provide something and went out and, and found a, you know, a dancing partner to provide some opportunities for our teams um, in the non-conference as well. Um, you know, we're working to, to chop down on opportunities, but you know, our team's got to go out and schedule and obviously it's important um, to play home games. And so at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've got to have additional investment probably um, to get home games, to to make an effort to schedule some of those Division One games that are uh, you know that are difficult to play and and challenge ourselves in the non conference, and so the seating system kind of reinforces that in in a, in a way. Drew, was that the rationale in dropping the non D one limit to one game? I believe it is now in uh, twenty four twenty five, or I <clears throat> this year I think that takes effect. It's two years this year, two games this year, and then it goes down to one game in 2024-25. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, removing those those games and trying to force, you know, not force, but focus on playing Division One opponents and building resumes, it, it all feeds into the same process, right? Um, you know, how do you, uh, how do you evaluate teams, um, for instance, that play zero non-Division One games um, and play in, a, in a, a conference that doesn't provide the same number of quad one, quad two opportunities as the WAC may? 
Um, for instance, there's teams this year that got 12 seeds and had zero quad one wins, but they had 28, 29 total wins. And, and so at some point, how does that happen when our teams have multiple quad one wins, multiple quad two wins, but they're sitting there at 22 countable wins. And so at some point there's, there is a quality factor of it, but there's also a quantity factor. Um, and, and obviously, you know, as a league that wants to, you know, continue to be one of the top mid-major program uh, leagues in the country, um, you know, beating and in, in, in playing against teams in, in our division um, is important. And it's something that we should be going out, uh, you know, every night to, to try to accomplish and, and, and be the best that we can. And so, you know, it helps to do that. Number one, it also helps to build resumes going forward. So hopefully that continues to be a, a, the case. And, you know, we hope for some more quality basketball. Obviously we want to have quality basketball on all the, all our campuses for our, for our fans as well. Drew, one last question here before we let you go, just so fans understand the determination of the WAC CUSA Alliance matchups, that was just based off of net rankings from 2022-23. Is that right? <clears throat> there, was a, there was a couple of different things. That's the main part of it. Um, you know, net ranking from uh, last year up until the point where we were actually working on those um, was, was taken into consideration. We actually averaged it with the year before to try to not have too big of an outlier. Sure. Um, for this year, uh, but then this year was also difficult um, with a, with a few of the uh, date conflicts that we had, and so it, it I would not say it's a one for one. It was you know it it was as close as you could get to the opponent on your on your net level um, on most of those situations, depending on your availability. You know, going forward, you know, trying to lock those dates in ahead of time and not allow people to put games on dates so that we don't have to be handcuffed by any sort of conflicts either facility or previously scheduled game is the goal sure all right and, and then you know is there is there a matchup that stands out to you in that alliance on the men's side oh you know i think there's a couple of good ones you know across the board you know there's 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 opportunity there um for you know a number of our teams um you know obviously i think Grand Canyon got a pretty good matchup with Liberty. Um, you know, I think that there was some other, you know, across the board. I, who else? Seattle gets La Tech, which could be a decent matchup. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember all of them across. You know, I got too many too many games in my head right now. But, uh, you know, I think that there's – there's when I look at it, I think there's there's games on your level um, that, that give you an opportunity to not only have a home game on some of the cases – um, but also, you know, put put another game on the books that may um, may not have probably been scheduled. Um, another one that UTEP at ACU. I mean, that to me, that matchup, which was not forced, um, provides an opportunity for ACU to have a team like UTEP come in with their former coach. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to do something nice for him when he comes back, et cetera. Uh, you know, those type of matchups that were created. I think I think add value to it. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think that there's any any matchups that that you're going to feel like, oh, th this is this is a horrible game for us, you know, based on metrics or numbers. Um, and so I think that 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 really what determined on making a, a deal with them. There were several other conferences that wanted to do some sort of alliance, um, you know, but at the end of the day, competitive, the competitive nature between the leagues uh, that we have and how close we were in a lot of our net numbers really just made a lot of sense to, to try to accomplish that. And so 
I, I mean, I hope there's some great games that, that happen from this. You know, obviously, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it lands and, and see how it goes forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Daryl, you got anything else? All right. Well, we're going to wind down. Drew Sparrow, the associate commissioner over basketball in the Western Athletic Conference. Drew, always appreciate the time. I know we're going to be talking as this gets going. Uh, we're about four months out from the season starting, so uh, looking forward to another fun season of Western Athletic Conference basketball. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, and appreciate all you guys do. Thanks for listening to the Straight Out of Whack podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Whack Hoops Digest and Facebook under Whack Hoops Digest for all your Whack Hoops news and information.